0: Good morning, class. I know that's too much to read, but it's my notes, and I wanted you to have them, because PowerPoints are hard to build, and I'm not going to build one for this class. If I were a smart man, and I'm not, I probably would have asked Kerry Waddell to continue this class. I got some compliments on his class last week, and I only regretted that I wasn't here to hear it. But uh, thank you, Brother Carey, for what you did. And thank you for being here today to dig out some things that are vitally important. I have spent two weeks introducing this book. Carrie went into chapter one last week. But I want to finish the introduction today. It will be partially a repeat of what we've done, but it will be more than that. I'll have new material to introduce. You might say, I've never seen anybody take three weeks to introduce a book of the Bible. I have a purpose. If we do not understand this part of history, we cannot understand Hebrews. And I've had many, many people come to me over the years saying, I don't understand Hebrews. I'm going to study harder and I'll understand it. No, you won't either. You won't understand it until you understand the time in which it's written and all the things it means. And then you can come to understand it. The time Jesus was on earth, the events and the way Jesus conducted himself was at odds with what the Jews thought he was going to do. They did not believe the Messiah would come and do what he did or fail to do what he failed to do. And that's the reason Hebrews is necessary. First century Jews held the literal view of the writings of the Old Testament prophets. If you have studied, uh, if you have studied Zechariah and uh, Ezekiel, especially Ezekiel, You'll understand that the Jews thought that there was going to be an end the last days. The Messiah would come during the last days, and then there would be the age of Messiah. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word that means Christ in Greek. They did not think of that as being Jesus, of course. But the Messiah would come in the last days, set up a kingdom in the last days, which Jesus did. But it was not the kingdom they wanted set up. If you go back and read Ezekiel, beginning in chapter 45, I believe you'll find out that Ezekiel paints a picture of a temple like you've never thought about. It is a huge temple, elaborate temple. The temple of uh, Solomon pales into significance with that temple. It involves animal sacrifices. It is a great thing that is in the future. And the Jews took that to mean that their dispensation, the new one, the Masonic age, the, uh, I'm sorry, the Messiah age, would have that in that age, which is a violation of every principle in the Bible I know of. Jesus Christ was sufficient on the cross when he died to forgive all sins and not remember them again, to pay for all sins. They did not understand that. They believed the rituals of the Old Testament would Continue and be fulfilled in this great temple that Ezekiel talked about. Now, the great temple Ezekiel talked about was the church. If you go back and study those passages, you'll say, where did you get that? It has to be that way because the greatness of the temple and the greatness of the sacrifices show that it's something uh, prophetic language. It's something presented prophetically, which represents Christ and his church. And uh, this is where, of course, the uh, Jews broke down uh, and, and decided that Jesus Christ was not the man. I want to read two pertinent passages here, Isaiah 32 and then Isaiah 53. And I want you to see these passages, what they are. Listen to what David said in Isaiah 32. Behold, a king, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice a man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover of the tempest as rivers of water in dry places as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land the eyes of those who see will not be dim the ears of those who hear will not will listen the heart of the rash will understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly around 1920 a man by the name of Judge Rutherford, a uh, Jehovah's Witness, wrote a book entitled Millions Now Living Shall Never Die. It was the end of World War I. Men were coming home with one leg, with one eye or no eyes, with no hearing, maimed in every such way. And he said, in 1925, all of these people will be restored according to this passage. Judge Rutherford was wrong. He lived to know that, of course, and uh, of course the Jehovah's Witnesses got busy and banished the book, but it's still around. I have a copy of it. Thank God. Isaiah 32 is not to be taken literally, it is a figure of speech projecting the time when Jesus Christ would come and establish his kingdom. Now look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 32 has built him up as this great king, and they saw him as a king in, in kingly garments. They saw him as one that miraculously made everything all right on earth. But then Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. That's the same man spoken of in Isaiah thirty-two one. He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows is acquainted with grief, and we hid as were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. If we went ahead and finished this chapter, we would find that he was crucified or that he was made his death with the wicked with the rich in his death he'd done no violence neither was in his seat found in his mouth but it pleased the lord to bruise him now how do you how do you make isaiah 32 and isaiah 53 talk about the same person because they're both prophetically speaking and they're both speaking in a way that has merit and right, but they're speaking same man in different ways the first century rome uh, dis- destroyed jerusalem general titus destroyed the city and the temple in ad 70 that's significant remember ad 70 40 years earlier jesus prepared his followers for that destruction now the jews did not see the temple as being destroyed Yeah, there was going to be a greater temple, but that temple was not going to be destroyed. But listen to Jesus, Matthew 24. This is new material for this class. I must read it. Jesus uh, went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. I remind you that temples were museums and they were banks. They had a lot of things that we could say about them. But when a temple was destroyed, the stones were broken apart because there was gold inside sometimes stored away. Every stone was broken apart when the temple was destroyed. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things be? and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age not talking about the end of the world here talking about the end of the age Hmm. remember also as he was about to ascend into heaven they said will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel what are they looking for the messianic age They believed he was the Messiah. Most Jews didn't, but they did. So he was coming to set up a kingdom in Jerusalem where he would reign on the throne in Jerusalem and he would continue to rule the earth. Everything would be perfect. No blind people, no deaf people, no lame people. Everything would be perfect. Okay, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus rebuked them for saying that. They were thinking wrong. I want to go on in verse 24, chapter 24, and look at this. There are so many people today who believe that this part of the passage refers to them. I was speaking to a woman one time in personal Bible study in some foreign country. And she was telling me how that the Lord is coming back. And she referred to this passage. Now look to what, what he said in Verse 14 beginning, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations as witness to all nations, and uh, then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, I want to pause here, it's in my notes, but this abomination of desolation means to be awestruck by some uh, desolate thing. And Daniel talked about that. Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. We're getting ready for the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus is warning his followers, the Christians, that later be called, to flee to the mountains when they see these things. Let him who's on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. I read that and asked that lady, I said, You think you'll be on the housetop? Well, I never go on the housetop. Why do you think Jesus made such a wild statement to you? Why, why did he say that to the people here in your country? That him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. I said, ma'am, what if that happens on the Sabbath? She said, I don't think that'll matter. Well, it mattered with them. Why? Because the gates of Jerusalem were closed on the Sabbath. Winter, travel is hard. Expectant mothers, travel is hard. For then there will be great tribulations such as had not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now back to the abomination of desolation. Daniel said, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Daniel is talking about this brings us up to the second century BC. He's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Syrian ruler, he ruled in Jerusalem. Antiochus Epiphanes hated the Jews, he denied them circumcision. I wanna tell you something ladies, this was important. Circumcision was important. The mothers wanted to make sure their children or their sons were circumcised because if they were not, they would be cut off from God. And some of the mothers went ahead and circumcised their children, guess what? When they were found, the children were killed. They were put in a bag and put around their mother's neck and she had to carry them there for several days. Antiochus Epiphanes was an idiot he was mean he set up an altar to the temple of Zeus that is in God's temple the temple to Zeus Zeus was the god of all gods in Greek he offered pigs on the altar pigs on the altar in Jerusalem Unclean, unclean. And desecrated the most holy place. Just goes barging in. The office of God Almighty desecrates it. In 87, General Titus did some of the same things. He took the image of Emperor Vespasian into the temple He killed 1.1 million Jews in Jerusalem. Somebody says, how in the world did we get that many Jews in Jerusalem? It was the Passover when Titus attacked the city. Not only were the gates closed and locked, the Christians had escaped, obviously. The gates were closed and locked, and the Jews on the inside were fighting each other There were three groups of Jews on the inside of Jerusalem that were fighting each other while Titus and his army is riding around the city. Joseph is being a witness to this. And he destroys Jerusalem, kills 1.1 million Jews, and piles the bodies on the altar, or around the altar. The abomination of desolation again Daniel spoke of Antiochus Epiphanes, and then a figure spoke of this time when Titus would do some of the same things. Matthew 24, 34, Assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place. And of course, Jesus said that again in Mark 9, 1. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some of you that shall not taste of death. Standing here, that shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God, present with power. Rome's attempt to honor Titus didn't work. There is an arch of Titus in Rome. It is on a on a busy street. In fact, it's a divided street. The arch of Titus sits on in the medium, and uh, the arch of Titus is there, praising Titus for subduing the Jews. Inspired later, another arch. Titus reportedly refused to accept an olive leaf victory wreath from the soldiers growling that there was no merit in vanquishing a people who have been forsaken by their own God. In other words, Titus said, I didn't do it. I did not defeat the Jews. I did not tear up Jerusalem. I did not tear down the temple. Their God tore down the temple. Thank you, Titus. God almighty tore down the temple. God Almighty destroyed Judaism. Now, we've had these before, but I just want to review them again. A.D. 26, John came preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is A.D. 30. You shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and all Judea to the end of the earth. A.D. 30 still, the day of Pentecost was fully come. They, the apostles, were all with one accord in one place. This is the day of Pentecost. The kingdom is established this day. The church is built this day. Around A.D. 30. A.D. 50. Oh, excuse me. A.D. 30 again, Acts 6, 7. This is critical right here. Word of God spread the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. We're glad of that. The church was totally Jewish at this time and now the priests were beginning to be converted but, there's a but here, how careful will the leaders in Jerusalem be to make it right? So this uh, the priest obedient to the faith is kind of an ominous warning because priests are leaders. And even though they accepted fully the gospel of Christ, they still have a history. Not only their history, their fathers, their grandfathers, great grandfathers, all the way back to Moses. Something to be very proud of. Hmm. AD 52. We're 22 years away from the time the church was established. Paul says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, had been committed to me, Paul, as the gospel for the circumcised to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. So here's Paul, here's Peter. Paul, apostle to the Jews, Um, uh, excuse me, Peter, apostle to the Jews, Paul, apostle to the Gentiles when James Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that had been given to me they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they go to the circumcised this is the beginning of the first missionary journey Acts 21 we've been through this a number of times but just briefly I won't dwell on it but when Paul returns from his third missionary journey he is called in by the leadership of the church there. He gives a report on the great success he had among the Gentiles. And they say, thank God, thank God. Now there's something you need to know. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. It's Jesus plus Moses' law for them which corrupts Jesus. And then they recommended to Paul, ordered Paul to do a certain thing in the temple. He did it. And uh, the book of Acts closes. Paul is still a prisoner in Rome when the book of Acts closes, AD 62. So for four years, he's been a prisoner. He is said to be released. Secular history says that. I don't know it. And then he was brought back to Rome and executed. The importance of Christ plus no one or nothing. That is what Christianity is. Christianity is Christ plus nothing. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. It was not so in the first century. There were too many Jewish influences that said, okay, we, okay, we believe Christ, we'll obey him, we'll do what he wants us to, but we will circumcise our children because if we don't, they'll be cut off from God. <clears throat> that's our custom. What the Bible says. Ouch. And then Hebrews six one says, "Leave the discussion of elementary principles of Christ." Don't drag Moses' view into Christianity. Hebrews eight thirteen says, uh, "God promised He would give a new covenant." When He said that, He said the old covenant is obsolete and it was and God is going hard toward Pentecost from Jeremiah and the Hebrews writer says now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away what what, 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 what you talking about here we're, we're in Hebrews 8.13 we're in the middle of the 60's we're in the AD 65 the church started in eighty thirty. 30 And we're still struggling with the old law. The old law was nailed to the cross. Get this. On the day of Pentecost. Well really at the cross of Christ. Judaism ended. And Christianity began. That was announced. Brought to pass. Less than two months later, the day of Pentecost. But the world didn't know that. Jerusalem didn't even know that. A few Christians then and some of the few Christians that knew had tainted it, and it morphed into a sect of the Jews I said that two or three times I want to emphasize again Christianity was never a sect of the Jews but perceived so by the world by the Jewish population as a matter of fact and evidently some of the Jews in the church believed it was a sect of the Jews and God said I'm going to stop that look at Hebrews twelve twenty-six. yet once more Incidentally, I wish I knew the mind of God. I don't, except for what he's revealed it to me. This passage here seems very clear to me. And I told somebody the other day, I said, I get scared when I see things that some Bible scholars can't see. He said, Are you scared of them or yourself? I said, I'm scared of myself. But just look at this. Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. God shook the earth at Mount Sinai the mountain that cannot be touched, and brought in the whole law. I shake not only on the earth but heaven, yet once more indicates the removal of things that are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What's he going to do? It seems to me he's going to shake the foundation of Judaism. It's going to collapse for good. And Christianity cannot be shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, I thought they received that kingdom on Pentecost. They did. But now they're going to know it. Which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now there's not a person in here that's a member of the church that could not quote Hebrews 10.25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, we're supposed to start inviting people on Monday to be at worship Sunday. We do that on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday be at worship, be at worship. That's not what that scripture says. It says do not forsake Christ. Do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Do not do that. Do not go off Back into Judaism because the day is approaching. Get more fervent about it because the day is approaching. This is in AD 65, 66. The day is going to be AD 70. Because then Judaism is going to be all over. And if you sit there and say, well, the Jews still exist. Judaism as it was in the first century does not exist anymore. I had a conversation at 40,000 feet with a man who I suppose was a rabbi. And he let me know real quick there were no animal sacrifices offered anywhere because they didn't have a temple. I didn't argue with him. They said He said, we've substituted prayers for the temple, for the sacrifices. We don't have animal sacrifices anymore. We just pray. There's a great deal of difference between prayer and an animal sacrifice. I don't think he knew that. We're going to start into this book finally. I just want to say to you that there is a vast amount of value in reading. I've been reading the Bible now since I was, I say, five years old. I was picking words out of it. I finally started reading it when I was six, really. That was in the covered wagon days. I started school in 1949. I still go every chance I get. But every once in a while, I say, hey, I never have seen that before. And Brother Glenn, you were preaching the other Sunday, and, and that just makes me think more of you. Brother Glenn said, I found something out from the Bible when I was preparing, preparing this lesson I had never seen before. Thank you, sir. What a wonderful, wonderful Thing we can do we need to read the Bible we need to contemplate what we read we need to think about the Bible we need to think about what's being said and uh, I want to urge you to do that uh, notice I'm going to I'm not going to dwell a whole lot of time in scripture here in the first part especially we'll get to parts where I will God who at various times in various ways and in, time, in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has seen the, these last days spoken by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. You see how unique Jesus is. God appointed his son heir of all things. His son, incidentally referred to here, is the son in the flesh. That's Jesus Christ. He was God, but on earth he was a human being too, hundred percent. He's appointed him heir of all things. Not a little bit for Moses, a little bit for Mohammed, a little bit for the Hindus. No, no, it's Christ. Through whom he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. The express image. Now we are in the image of God, but we're not in the express image of God. Jesus Christ was upholding all things by the word of the powers. When he had by by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. You know, angels are. They're up here. I'm down here. They're up here. Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, became so much better than the angels. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By inheritance yes he inherited from god the name jesus son of god in a special sense for to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today have i begotten you and again i will be to him a father he shall be to me a son but when he again brings the firstborn into the world he says let all the angels of god worship him And of the angels, he says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, I'm going to save that quote for just a minute. The word angel means messenger. That's all it means. John the Baptist was called an angel. Uh, Angelos, he was a human angel. But these are obviously angels of God, spiritual angels he's talking about here. Here's what he says of his son. Your throne, O God, the Father calls Jesus God. Can you believe such a thing? Of course you can. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Levi's throne, the Levitical priesthood, was 1,500 years. Many priests during that time, 20 years each, 30 years each, whatever, and then a new priest. A new high priest every twenty or thirty years. Won't be so here. We get to that later. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I love that passage, a quotation from Psalm forty six, incidentally. So God saw all this. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. Who's he talking about? The one we know is Jesus. Second person of the Godhead. You, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. For how long? For how long? Forever. the one to whom we refer is an eternal being. And I think I showed you one time, but you are not an eternal being in the ultimate sense. Well, you mean I'm going to die and go away? No, you're not going to die and go away. You are everlasting. But you know, sometime during 1942, I became an everlasting being. And I just have to say this. It was not when I was six months old or three months old in my mother's womb. It was when a sperm and ovum united to become a zygote. Z-Y-G-O-T-E. A one-celled human being. That's when I became an eternal being. But this is not a picture of God. This is a picture of God. God. He didn't start, and he ain't going to stop. I started, and I'm not going to stop. I guess I'm going the wrong way here, whatever. Turn around, I need to look in the mirror. But I think you got the picture. It's who we are. Wow. You remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up. They will be challenged. They will be changed. You are the same, and your years will not fail. We're going to emphasize this throughout the book. You'll see it later. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering saints sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? I'm often asked, I'm asked two or three questions when I teach the book of Hebrews, and I've taught it many times one question I've asked is who wrote it and of course I know who wrote it and I always tell them Holy Spirit wrote it I don't know whose pen he used and if you think Paul did that's all right. I don't have any disagreement with you one of my students just three weeks ago I asked who wrote the book of Hebrews and he said Paul and I told him I said you can't prove that but I won't count it wrong it's no problem with me if you said Barnabas I wouldn't count it wrong but I don't know whose pen he used therefore we must give the more earnest heed oh incidentally I had to say this the second question I am ask is do angels really take care of us are they not all ministering servants sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation I believe God takes care of us. I don't know all the means he does that. I don't believe he does that miraculously. But if I didn't believe God took care of me, I wouldn't ask him to. Protect us from harm. And often in the closing prayer for a service like this, I will pray, keep us from evil. Protect us from Satan. If I didn't think God could do that, I'd be a fool to utter those words. I think he can do that. And if he wants to use angels to do that, good for him. Therefore, we, may, we, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which you've heard, lest we drift away, lest we glide by, is what literally said here. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, everything's going so well we love uh, love what we're doing I can just sit back and take it easy I know I know enough to uh, get by A 25 year old preacher was interviewed I know this incident very well the elders asked him it did not happen at West Sunswell. elders asked him what do you plan to change over the next five years he said nothing I am what I want to be really I'm going to change your preaching no I have my sermons already. He probably had two hundred sermons that last two years, and then he can move. Use them again. Then he can move. And then he can move. No work, no study. He hasn't made. No, he doesn't. I've been preaching since nineteen sixty-three. And when I'm asked to preach somewhere, I've just finished a gospel meeting in Claxton, Georgia, by the way, I sit down and develop sermons again. Oh yes, I take off from some of the ones I have, but I rethink and rewrite those sermons. It's very important that I do that because I learned things over the years. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, the word spoken through angels, that's the Old Testament. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness Both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit, according to his own will. So he takes Moses' law and he said, The angels, this, the angels spoke, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And if he had been talking to a group of Jews in an audience, somebody said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, speaker. Don't you know that Yom Kippur is the greatest day of the year? The Day of Atonement? I mean, We do that. We've repented for nine, ten days here, the days of all. We've asked forgiveness from everybody, and now God, and he took our sins and hauled them away in the wilderness, and we won't even think about them for another year. Our sins have been forgiven us. Yes, they had. Greatest day of the year. Yes, in Judaism. But in Christ, when he hauls the sin away from you, he doesn't dump it in the wilderness and then bring it back to you he forgets it because his blood paid for it. for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels the world to come here we are A.D. 66, 67, whatever. And the writer saying he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Heaven? I don't think so. I think he's talking about the Christian age. They're already in the Christian age. Yes, but the world doesn't know it. The temple has to be destroyed. Judaism has already collapsed, but they don't know it. It will collapse and everybody's going to know it. There's going to be a new world. It will be the Christian age. Christian age already in progress. Forty years again. It's going to be defined. Not a sect of the Jews. It's a different different thing altogether. And here's a difficult passage. One testified in a certain place saying, What is man... That you're mindful of him. What's man there, mankind? Or the son of man that you take care of him. What's the son of man, mankind? Now it's easy for us to say, okay, that's talking about man, mankind, the son of man, Jesus Christ. No, no. Not Jesus Christ. Consider the context. You have made him a little lower than the angels. Well he did that to Christ yes but he's not talking about that. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've set him over the works of your hand. You put all things under subjection in subjection under his feet for in that he put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him but now we see not yet all things put under him. There's something missing. Man does not have everything under him. God gave him that and Adam threw it away. But we see Jesus. Okay, now we're changing subjects. We're leaving humanity in particular here. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He was made a human being. For the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every man. See what he's driving at. God put everything under man. Adam threw it away and brought death into the world. And the writer's saying it stayed that way. You man, you son of man, it stayed that way. But now we see Jesus who did what? Who came and put it under him because he tasted death for every man. Why? I like that. That makes death a little less fearful. You know, it's easy for us to get on a kick and just define things like they seem to be. Let me give you another passage here. I'm not going to ask this question here, but and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. If I were to ask this class, was Jesus talking about his resurrection? Some of you would say yes. I know because I've asked churches that. And that's kind of, if I be lifted up from the grave, I'll draw all men unto me. But the next verse said this, he said, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, if I be crucified, I'll draw all men unto me. Think about it. For it was fitting for him, for whom all are all things and by whom all things are, in bringing many sons to glory, To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. I thought Jesus never committed a sin. How can you make somebody perfect that's never committed a sin? Because he has to have all the trials. He has to be complete. And that's what it means here. It doesn't mean you have to run sin out of his life. But he has to be completely tried and tested. And his perfection shown. And that's what happened. Maybe we have time for this paragraph. Ring the bell if you need to. But both he who sanctifies, that separates from the profane. And those who are being sanctified are all of one. You know what that says? If you are sanctified, set apart as holy, you are sanctified by Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ. We are in good company. I love it. And then uh, for which reason... He is not ashamed to call them brethren saying I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise. We got our word hymnal from that to you. We can uh, just a word about music and I'll stop. God authorized David to use instruments in the Old Testament. They were used in the temple They were not used in local congregations called synagogues. Synagogue singing was a cappella. Temple music by the Levites used instruments. The New Testament is written by inspired men and it seems to me that somebody that God may be in year one hundred, one hundred fifty. 150. Man, I forgot something. I told them to sing in the assembly. I forgot to tell them to use instruments. Go back and do that again. Go back. I missed something. He didn't miss anything. He didn't intend it to be. Thank you, elders, for letting that be at West Huntsville. If you have questions, go ask Glenn. Let's bow. Father, thank you for our blessings. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for giving us wisdom and knowledge that we may take your word and apply it to our lives. Thank you for this church. Bless us till we meet again. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, Please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.